Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. verses 18 through 21 specifically. I'm going to start at verse 15. Uh, So we'll back up a few verses there just to kind of set it in uh, where we're at. Uh, That's what, of course, where we were last time we were together, which has been some time ago, but we will look here at verses 18 through 21. So beginning there at verse 15, chapter 5, Paul writes there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask for your help. We open your word. We look towards your word. We need your help. Father, we need your help as we understand. We need your help as we hear. Help me, Father, as I speak this Father, help me guard my mouth. Father, give me help as I do this. And Father, give us understanding, give us insight, give us wisdom as we see, as we hear, as we learn. Make this useful for, uh, for our lives and what we're doing as it is being pertained to what Paul is saying here about this necessity, not a suggestion, but a necessity of being filled with the Spirit. Lord, thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you took this passage, especially the second half of verse 18, out of the book of Ephesians, if you just ripped it out of Ephesians concerning this matter of being filled with the Spirit, uh, you could possibly build an argument that the book is legalistic. Now, the book is not legalistic. The book wouldn't be legalistic without that passage in there. It's just, you know, one might be able to build some kind of argument saying that because without that verse being filled with the Spirit, without that command from Paul of being filled with the Spirit, there could be this argument made that said, uh, well, he's just putting out a checklist for us because we do have lists sometimes that he gives, uh, but we have to look at it within the context of verse 18 because if we didn't have it, we could say, well, all of these things are being done through the power of the flesh. Believers without the Spirit would have to rely on their own resources. They would have to rely on their own strength to follow the way of the Christian life that is presented back up in verses 4 through 6. So if you look at those verses, uh, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous or uh, that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And this would, of course, 
we would be finding ourselves completely deficient. We cannot, we as in Christians, cannot walk in humility, in unity, in separation from the world, in light, in love, in wisdom, apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this rightly and properly. To walk without the Spirit is to walk unwisely, is to walk foolishly. It is to be, frankly, stupid. We can only do what we do for His glory as we do it in the Spirit. So we see he leads out with this in verse 18. He leads out with this contrast of the way of the flesh versus the way of the spirit. The beginning of our passage there in verse 18, it's crucial as it pertains to our Christian living and walking in a manner that's worthy, right? Because that's if you back up, because you remember everything, right? That we've said in the past in Ephesians, we've been here for a long time now, but you remember back in a manner worthy right? In a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. If we're going to live the Christian life by God's standard, you must be led. You must be guided by the Holy Spirit. That is essential. God's way contrasted with the world's way and its wisdom can't be followed apart from the working of the Spirit in your life. Now, concerning verse 18, concerning this matter of drunkenness here, this is an example of the way, and, and the example that he gives us of the way that the flesh is characterized by pagan religion. What would they do? Well, they would get drunk, they would uh, partake of their pagan religion, and uh, which is, by the way, what many of the Ephesian believers came out of was paganism. And the paganism was, of course, a religion that centered around drunken immorality of all kinds. That was what they were doing was they would do that and then that would elevate their communication with their small g gods and in their paganism. That of course is just the way of self, it's the way of pride, it's the way of immorality and greed and idolatry, confusion, uh, confusion, fantasy, uh, and just ultimately that which is just flat out demonic. Now, we don't take that verse, by the way, and rip that out of context. That's, uh, that, that isn't a proof text for abstination of alcohol. If you choose that, that's fine. But uh, that's, we have to understand, that's not why he's got it here. That's not his purpose here. right? We keep in mind that Paul, what, he had, what has he just finished doing? He was contrasting light and dark, wisdom and foolishness. The point then here is obviously, given the contrast to being filled with the Spirit, right, that getting drunk is simply another mark of darkness. It was just another mark of their paganism, foolishness, and that being filled with the Spirit, on the other hand, is the believer then being able to walk in light and being able to walk in wisdom. So, what we have and the command we have, we hear a lot about mandates now, right? The mandate that we have here is to be filled Right? Be filled with the Spirit. The godly walk of God's children that is expressing itself, that expresses in the Spirit-controlled life and worship. Now, when you hear me say Spirit control, okay, whenever I say the control of the Spirit on your life, don't hear me say that this is like some kind of video game where we're being controlled, that a button's pushed and we do this, a button's pushed and we do that. That's not what I mean when I say spirit control. When I say spirit control, what I mean is as a parent would control a child. Because if you don't control a child, what do you have? Fill in that blank, right? <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about robotic stuff here. 
we're talking about spirit-controlled life and worship. So that we know where we're going as we look at this, we look at the command of, of being filled for all those who are New Testament believers, those who are Christians, those who are following Christ. And then Paul just gives some very practical things as it concerns application and really what, what happens, kind of the consequence of what happens whenever, uh, whenever we are filled. So this command here to be filled, Paul was not there at Pentecost, right? Why? Because Paul was imprisoning and murdering Christians. Uh, so he wasn't there at Pentecost at that time. So when the Holy Spirit came so powerfully there at Pentecost, we know that while Paul wasn't there because he was still uh, in his own persecution of Christians, did he have that in mind, that event in mind, Pentecost, as he wrote this? filled with the Spirit. When Pentecost occurred, we know Paul, of course, was an unbeliever and uh, he was persecuting the church. But uh, while that is the case, without the Spirit, there is no church, right? And uh, if there is no church, then there is nothing to persecute. And so without the Holy Spirit, the church would be so powerless, if that was even a thing, that's not a possibility, there is no church without the Spirit. But if there was, it would be so powerless that it could not threaten the domain of Satan. But it was at Pentecost that the apostles heard the heavenly noise like a, what, violent rushing wind, right? Saw the tongues of fire distributing themselves and resting on them. And then in Acts 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. But when this happened, what was the accusation? Well, if we look at Acts chapter 2, if we look there in Acts chapter 2, what you find is they, they had a had a reaction to this because they saw all this going on and what did, what do they have? Well, they were all amazed. They were perplexed. And this is verse 12. Saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Now, they accused them of being drunk. And that's what, why they were doing what they were doing. That was the accusation of being drunk at Pentecost, being, quote, unquote, full of sweet wine. Now, was this what Paul had in mind when he penned verse 18, this happening? Because he wasn't there, but he knew about it, right? He knew what was going on there. Is this what he had in mind when he penned verse 18? I don't know. I, I, I can't know that, but I, I stole that idea, by the way. There's a couple commentators that I read that did say that they believe that that was indeed the case. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but that possibly sparked what Paul wrote in verse 18. Of course, driven by the Holy Spirit, we recognize that. There had been those in the past, we know if we go to the Old Testament, there are those in the past, like Moses, that were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They were filled with the Spirit, but not in the same way. Moses being filled, that was only for special purposes, but it was at Pentecost that all believers in the church were filled with the Holy Spirit. Every last promise that Jesus gave to His disciples on the night that He was with them was fulfilled in some sense by the Holy Spirit coming then on that day. In fact, it was the coming of the Holy Spirit that made real all the promises of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the Spirit would come. And 
the Holy Spirit's indwelling of believers instead of just some, like in the Old Testament, kings, prophets, you know, given at special times, right? And then, and only then, at times, this is one of the great and glorious truths then of the new covenant. So in the church age, which is now, the current age, the church age, the Spirit of God, um, isn't just alongside of us. It isn't just like we get it in doses and then it's taken from us. No, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It is this very indwelling that makes all the other promises possible. Back up to chapter 1, verse 13. He is called what? The Holy Spirit of promise. Now this is our divine pledge. This is our security that the promises of Jesus are fulfilled. It's because of this that it is secure truth that we will have a heavenly dwelling place in the Father's house. The Holy Spirit assures us that Jesus and the Father are one and that we are His children. That way He will intercede for us, making our prayers effective. We will, he will bear fruit in our lives. But it's only done as He fills us. So what's it mean? We want to know what that means, right? It's important that we know what that means because there is a command here. But we need to know what it's not. We need to know what it isn't. It isn't some dramatic, levitating, launched into advanced spirituality, second blessing kind of thing. It doesn't come to us and we, we, uh, we get blown out of the seat up against the wall or something like this or start making funny sounds. That's not what it is. We keep in mind, every believer from the moment of the new birth has the Holy Spirit, but not all are filled in the same measure. There isn't the manifest filling in the same measure. That is the command to those who already have the Spirit, which is who? Everybody who's a Christian, right? That is the command. Be filled. That's the command to those of us that are the church. Be filled. And so it's actually a command. It has this idea of a purposeful communication. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an option. It is not optional for me to say, I don't really think that that's what I need or what I want. This is indeed, again, mandate, right? That's what this is. And it's one that matters. It's one that we care about, right? No Christian can fulfill God's will for his life apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we don't obey the command that's found here to be filled with the Spirit, we can't obey anything else. We can't obey any other command of Scripture. We can do nothing apart from the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. There is not really another command that is so practical as this one. We are subject to the authority. We're called to obedience. As this is a very basic and foundational element in what we do and our living. There is more to being in the kingdom than just, well, here, I'm here, I'm in the kingdom. As Josh said a week or two ago, it's just more than just, well, we'll mow the grass and have a sermon, right? There's more to it than that. But there are those that say, once you're in, anything that you do in obedience then, well, you get in, but now, once I do something in obedience, well, that's kind of like extra credit. I've done some obedience, so that's like extra credit. There are those that would say that, you know what, you're in Christ and you're in the church, you know, and you go to church, so you're safe from hell. And if no rewards are given at all, if you really don't do anything, uh, you still get to go to heaven. And you know what, the most obscure corner in heaven, well, it's still heaven, right? 
And, and hey, all believers live there in bliss, which is true. But where is that kind of speech in the New Testament? Find that for me in the New Testament that says, well, yeah, you're in and, you know, you can do obedience or you can not do obedience. And I would argue, of course, that if you're not obeying, if you're not following, you're not one of his. But there is no thinking in the New Testament that gives those kind of ideas. That kind of thinking, which is very Western, by the way. That's very uh, uh, United States Christianity nonsense, that kind of thinking. That comes out of a spiritual hardness that produces a life that is very careless and a life that is very indifferent. If the truth be known, it comes out of a life that is just immoral and idolatrous. It's a person that is holding a very unscriptural and unbiblical attitude and actually walking in what is direct opposition to the Spirit, not possessing, arguably, the Spirit at all, right? someone we would refer to as an unbeliever. Submission to God is fundamental. It is not optional. I can't say, nah, I think I will submit. This seems like a, a good idea. No, this, that's not what this is. Even though a brand new believer might be untaught, right? You might have a believer who is completely untaught. You might have a guy who's walking down the sidewalk and somebody just happens to walk up to him, open a Bible and, and show him uh, scripture, read the gospel to him, share the gospel with him. And the guy, his eyes are opened. He's never heard the gospel. His eyes are open. He, he's right then and there is born again. This guy is untaught, right? That is an untaught person. But there should, at this point, even though they don't know exactly what to do next, they may not have any clue where to go from here, but they should at least, at minimum, have a desire to submit to God's Word. At minimum, a desire to submit to God's Word and submit to God's Spirit. I don't know what in the world to do next, but I, I, I at least know that I have to do that. A person that doesn't have this desire has no claim on Jesus to resist the filling, to resist the control, is flagrant disobedience. You know, I related the, the parent-child relationship to a, a spirit-Christian relationship. I mean, what is that? If, if, if the child neglects, if the child um, resists the control of the parent, of what the parent is trying to do in their lives, that is flagrant disobedience, right? To deny or minimize the importance is to just stand in rebellion against very clear teaching of God's Word. It is, it is one thing to sin, because you will do that. It is one thing to fall into some indifference. I hope you don't do that. hope you don't sin either. But you will. But is it okay to be content there? Is it okay for me to be content in that place? Yes, I've done something stupid, but it's not just stupid. It is sin that I am in right now. And so if I'm in this sin, is it okay for me to be content there? No, I can't be content in that state. That is to stand condemned when that doesn't even bother me. So yes, if we are saved, we're indwelt. Yes, we're baptized, we're sealed, but unless we are filled, we are going to live in spiritual weakness and continual defeat. It's being filled, literally being kept filled. 
It's that manifest feeling, manifest presence of the Spirit and literally being kept filled. It involves a day-to-day submission to the Spirit's control. It isn't that I say, okay, well, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit like I, like I go and I pray and I just ask to be filled with the Spirit. Now I'm filled. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. We'll just move on from here and I'm good. I've got what I need. That is not the way this works, right? That's not the way this works. This is a day-to-day submission. Every day submitting to the Spirit's control. Why? Because there still is the flesh, there still is sin, and I have to daily submit to the Spirit's control. It isn't something that we do. This is done in us, and we obey and we follow. The filling is of the Spirit, but it only happens when we submit. You don't rely on a past filling. Right? You don't rely on a past filling. You don't rely on a future filling. You're relying on what is going. We live in this present filling, this present continued idea, this continued filling in a present obedience. We don't find ourselves thinking, man, I, I wish that I was more like, I don't know, pick your spiritual giant. You know, go back to one of the Puritans or something like this. And let's say you could go have coffee with John Owen or, or one, of the, one of the many Johns, right? And, and you go have coffee with this person. You can pick their brain and you, can, and, and you can talk to them and you see just the filling of the Spirit in their lives. And you think, man, I wish I could just jump to right there. And because I can't just jump to right where they're at, I'm going to get discouraged and just give up. No, I have to look at the present. I have to go from where I'm at and I have to do the hard work from where I am right now. And so it's to be filled to the rim, ready to pour over an idea of just total permeation. Right. And, and it involves this control, implies a control. Uh, it, fear. If you're filled with fear, what are you going to be controlled by? You'll be controlled by fear. So if I put you into fear, you will do whatever I ask you to do because you are controlled by that fear. So if you allow fear to control you, that's what is going to be your guide. You filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit. You're going to be controlled by something. You will be controlled by something. Be controlled by the Spirit. Recognize that when we seek to have what the church in Acts had, we desire a good thing. But the thing that we desire whenever we look at what the church in Acts had is not the stuff that happened. Like we're going to try to do what they did to get the results that they had. And we're all going to start you know, speaking in tongues or something like this. That's not what we're talking about. When we're looking at the church in Acts, the, the, the desire is to be filled with the Spirit as they were filled with the Spirit. They were obeying. They were following. They were doing what they were to do. And, and, and so what happened is they were filled with the Spirit. It is their Spirit-filled lives that were after. Then, like they did, we can turn the world upside down for Christ. How does it happen? How do we get it? Well, God not only the, the command, it's not just that the command's here, but of course God provides the means by which we obey. It isn't even necessarily that, you know, we don't, we don't pray, God, please give me the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there, right? You know, the Holy Spirit indwells us. But as we go to this filling, as we think of this filling and what's going on in this filling, it is his, his desire for each of us now to be have this manifest filling, right? And if we're going to be filled, what are we going to do? We're going to aggressively confess sin. 
We're going to aggressively confess sin. We're going to aggressively get to the bottom of our sin every day. You know, we're not going to think that, well, you know, I'm a believer now and I've been a believer for however many years. And you know what? Again, I've arrived. I'm good. No more sin in my life. Right. No. As I grow, I should be able to see as I grow that I am a way worse sinner than I thought I was. Because that's what happens when you grow. When you grow, you see and you learn, I am way worse than I thought I was. And God is way holier than I ever thought that he was. And my sin is an affront to God. And so I am confessing sin, aggressively going after uh, the confession of sin. I am aggressively surrendering the will. I am aggressively surrendering any intellect that I might have. I'm aggressively surrendering my time and my talents, and I'm aggressively surrendering my possessions and my desires. Then the death of selfishness happens. That's whenever the death of selfishness comes and the slaying of self-will comes. So if I die to self, the Lord fills with His Spirit. That's what happens. I die to self. I surrender those things to Him. And then as I die to self daily, right, because I have to do this daily, I'm still in this body of flesh, I have to do this daily, then the Lord fills with the Spirit it's to take the Word of Christ, take the Scripture, let it indwell, infuse every last part of our being. Now, you don't do this perfectly, and neither do I. I remember uh, C.J. Mahaney was asked to uh, write a book on humility. <laughs> and he started out the book saying, I've been tasked with writing a book on humility. How in the world do you do that? Because there is some kind of implication there that says, well, hey, we're going to go ask this guy to write a book on humility because apparently he's humble. How in the world am I supposed to proclaim any humility writing a book on humility? Well, I have a difficulty here because I don't do this perfect. I am not perfect at all these things. But that's why you have to preach straight through Scripture, right? So that way you can't skip such things. So I say this not as one who is perfect at doing it. I say this as one that says that this is what we know we need to do. And we cannot, again, I say we cannot get discouraged because you're not where that guy's at or you're not where that guy's at. Or you, you know, you gather with this guy and you talk with him. And you see, man, this guy is filled with the spirit. He, he, he's, he's got this. How am I going to get here? I can't get here. I'm discouraged. No, it is the present. It is the right now. It is that I have to do this, the hard work now of obedience in doing what I need to do. And so to be filled is to live in this consciousness of this presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were standing next to him, that, that, that his mind, that this is dominating our life. It is to fill ourselves with his word so that his thoughts are our thoughts. Because if I am not filling myself with his words, my thoughts are going to be idiotic. Right. Go out in the world. You will quickly find the thoughts are idiotic. I need his standards to be my standards. Because again, go in the world. What standards do you find, right? That his work is, is my work. 
If we are conscious of Christ, you're going to be like Christ. Paul has, has already given us the best analogy in this moment-by-moment -moment yielding, because that's what it is. It's moment-by-moment -moment yielding to the Spirit's control in that figure of walking back up in verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to what? Walk, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of what you have been called. So when you walk, what are you doing? You're taking one step at a time. And sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes there is suffering. Sometimes there is, there is things that will, that will cripple my walking, right? Uh, Friday night... Uh, I kind of witnessed this. We, as you may have heard, we've got a boy on our football team that got tied up in a combine and lost half his leg. And, uh, and, and he's healing now. And, uh, and he's having, uh, you know, a time like you think any boy his age would have. But he sat down in the end zone. And you know what? He is, this kid is, is tired of this wheelchair. I can't get around in this wheelchair like I want to. So I'm going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get around on crutches now. And so uh, Friday, and he can't, he couldn't wheel himself out where he wants to go. He can't do what he wants to do. And so what does he do? Well, after the game, you know, the, the, his team is out there celebrating. And so what does he do? He goes out there, right? He takes off. You know, this is difficult, right? He was doing fine. This is a kid. This is a kid that, you know, he's in, he's in great physical condition, great physical shape. And then this happens. A horrible, terrible thing. Now, you can react in one of a few ways when this happens, right? You could respond in, in one of a few ways. His walking was disrupted. Your walking will be disrupted, right? What are you going to do in response to that? And so I was, of course, in the midst of all of this, and I saw him going across the field because his team was over here, and he was by himself headed that way, right? And so I thought of this, and I thought, you know, there, there is something that illustrates what's going on. You keep walking. You pick up from where you were at, and you charge forward in this walk. Take one step at a time because you cannot walk any other way than that. If you're filled with the Spirit, it is a thought by thought. It is a decision by decision and act by act under the Spirit's control. The Spirit-filled life yields every step to the Spirit of God. The Spirit though is it's against the flesh and our flesh is the beginning of sin and it is the yet unredeemed part of our humanness of course that remains and it is exposed to and inclined towards sin so even as new creatures even as those who are born again our weakness is the flesh and the only way to override the sinfulness and evil desires that is spurred by satan is to do what to function in the spirit if you aren't filled with the Spirit, if you aren't day by day, moment by moment, in this walk, one step at a time, if you're not doing this, what are you going to do? You're going to fall back into deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, anger, drunkenness, carousing, other things like these. If you're not living under the control of God's Word and Spirit, the deeds of the flesh are the only things you can do. Why? Because they're not under the Spirit. The flesh, devoid of the Spirit, the flesh is the only resource that I have. So the defense against this power of temptation, the defense against sin, the defense against Satan is the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no power over these evils and, and to try to combat them in our own strength. To do that is to try to walk, uh, if you're going to try to walk on water under your own power, it's not going to work, right? You will win spiritual victories when and only when the Holy Spirit does this battle on our behalf as we are walking in 
obedience. Now, Paul gives some very practical things as he rolls through here and uh, that comes out of being filled. The, 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 the consequences, what happens? If I'm filled, what's going to happen? As I follow the command to be filled with the Spirit, he says that there's going to be some things that come out of this, right? Significant things. Singing. Singing is going to happen. Giving thanks is going to happen. Submission is going to happen. When God's Spirit is controlling us, whenever it is, it is, it, it, it's controlling us, He puts a song in our hearts, on our lips. He will give us thankfulness to God. And He will give us submissiveness then to one another. So what that shows is the filling of the Holy Spirit makes us rightly related to ourselves. It makes us rightly related to each other in the body. And it makes us rightly related to God. These things that are the things that matter, right? So you look at verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So, Spirit-filled life produces music. Now, whether you have a good voice or you can't carry a tune in a bucket, which is me and, and others of you, um, whether, regardless of which one of those it is, a Spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. There's not much more that's indicative of a happy and content soul than a song. Now, the other uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday, uh, Cole had said that as he, he taught us Wednesday night, and he had a couple of illustrations there. There's uh, Cole. Cole had a couple of illustrations there, and he said they were stupid illustrations. I think that's the word he used. These are dumb illustrations. These illustrations fall short. All illustrations fall short, okay, because we're talking about God, and illustrations fall short, but they do help us to understand things. His illustrations, by the way, were not stupid. The illustration that I'm fixing to give is stupid, okay, but it's there for a point. So for what I want you to do here is I want you to consider the plight of the Smurf, all right? And I am talking about the little three-apple-tall creature, right? The little blue guy. Think about the plight of the Smurf. The Smurf lives under the constant threat of being murdered by a crazy old man with a wretched cat. Uh, you don't have to add wretched to cat. All cats are indeed wretched. But this is what they live under. Now, I say all this ignorance here for a reason. What are they doing all the time? They're making music, right? They're making music. They're singing. They're making music that sometimes isn't very good music, right? Right? Because if you recall, Papa Smurf gets pretty, I mean, he's just like, you know, stop with this, right? It's been, now, I I've, don't recollect all this. It's been like 35 years since I've watched this, but, <laughs> but what is going on here, right? That's what is happening. It's, it's the joy flowing out of the heart under the constant threat of, of death, because I think Gargamel wants to make a stew out of him or something, right? But this is the constant threat. Now, that's something that's ignorant and silly and doesn't really matter, right? And that, by the way, is a dumb illustration. But what does it show? How can the North Korean who is in the labor camp right now, how can he sing? How can one sing while they're being burnt at the stake? How can one who is in the underground church right now in China under the threat of being arrested and imprisoned, how can they sing? How is our, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, as they are under the threat of, of death, having their heads chopped off, frankly, how can they sing? 
There is only one way. They are filled with the Spirit. That's how they can see. That's real. That is real. That's how they do it. See the consequence of the Spirit-filled life. It's, it may not be that I've moved a mountain, right? It may not be that I've moved a mountain, that I've had this really dynamic, miraculous experience outside of salvation, which is a dynamic, miraculous experience. You know, it may not be that, you know, don't have this dynamic speaking ability or something like this, but instead, it's very simply a heart that sings. It's a heart that sings. So when a believer walks in the Spirit, there is an inside joy that manifests itself in music. You know, it's the whole whistle while you work, you know. Yeah, I, won't, I won't go down that road, okay? God puts music in the soul, right? Puts music in the soul on the lips of His children who walk in obedience. So sing. But our music isn't like the music of the world because our God is not like their gods, right? Now, understand, I am not talking about genre of music, all right? I could care less what the genre of music is as it pertains to, to, to words. Now, there is a, uh, if, if you're familiar with the genre of music that is uh, death metal, uh, there is a, uh, uh, apparently a Christian death metal. I do have an argument against that. Okay, that is a little weird and awkward and, and, and I think just problematic, and I'm not going to go down that tangent, but I'm not talking about genre of music here when I say our music isn't like theirs. Most of the world's music, what does it reflect? It reflects the world's ways. It reflects the world's standards. It reflects the world's attitudes. It reflects their gods, right? It reflects their gods. Again, go listen to country music for 15 minutes and, and you see what is worshipped, right? To attempt to use that music to reach the world is, what am I doing? I am lowering the gospel in order to spread the gospel. And guess what? It ain't going to work, right? If the world hears that our music is not much different from theirs, then they're probably going to be inclined to think that the Christian life really isn't that much different than theirs. Our heart and music belong to God, and the righteousness of God, uh, while the world's heart and music belong to Satan and his unrighteousness. You know, when it comes to, to music, my friends, we are blessed here because all the songs we sing, regardless of whether they are a year old or a hundred years old, are all doctrinally and theologically sound. And we get to sing those week after week. Now, to whom do we sing? That's obvious, right? We know who we're singing to. We're not singing to each other. Uh, you don't want me singing to you, I promise. Um, you know, I, I did this whenever I was a hospice chaplain. Uh, I had a woman uh, that wanted me to sing to her. She, she, and, and it was not uncommon to sing with patients or things like this. And, and I had a woman, she wanted me specifically just to sing to her. And, uh, and then I got about um, 20 seconds in and she said, that's okay, sweetie, you're not singing. <laughs> but you don't want me singing to you. We are singing to the Lord. Singing and making song is not for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves. It's not for the purpose of entertaining others. It is for rejoicing and praising God. Now, however, you can hear and listen to people sing, and you can worship in that, right? You can praise God in that. If you have never had opportunity to sit near within earshot of this little choir right over here, I suggest you do that. Okay? It's, it's, it's good to hear all that together. 
right? We like to hear that together. We worship through that. If you didn't worship during our offering song, something is wrong with you. Thank you, Lizzie, by the way. If you can't worship during that, you have a problem. Something is indeed wrong. But who's the audience, right? God is the audience. So the words of our song should be correct in theology and doctrine. It's reflective of God's truth. It's not the world's philosophy. Music that honors the Lord, it is a great, great blessing for us. And so uh, it causes us then to give thanks. Now, people have one of a few different attitudes about giving thanks. So as we move into this idea of giving thanks, what, what are a few different ways we give thanks? Well, some people are thankful, are, are not thankful because uh, they think, well, I deserve everything. And as a matter of fact, I deserve more than what I already got. So I'm just not thankful really at all. Then you have the thankfulness and the attitude of the hypocrite that says, you know what? I am thankful. I'm not like the tax collector, right? And then you have the person who is truly thankful. John MacArthur tells of a uh, legend, a medieval legend. This is not, uh, he didn't put this out there as any kind of, of truth. He just put it out there for illustrative purposes. So take it as that. But he talks of the two angels sent to earth uh, by the Lord to gather the prayers of the saints. Uh, now one was to gather the petitions and the other was to gather the thanks, the thankfulness, okay? The thanksgivings. Now, the angel that was responsible for the petitions couldn't get there in one, in one trip, right? The angel responsible for the petitions had to go back and forth and back and forth. However, the angel that was responsible for the thanksgivings were able to carry them in one hand. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. It illustrates what? Very simply that we are more prone to ask for stuff than we are to be thankful for stuff. So when are we to be thankful? When? When do we do this? Well, we know always, and being thankful always recognizes God's control in our life in every detail as He seeks to conform us to the image of His Son. To be thankless, if I am thankless, I am in disregard of God's control, I am in disregard of the Lordship of Christ, and I am in disregard of the, what we're talking about, the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a few levels of thankfulness. This MacArthur uh, threw these in here along with this. So this is what John MacArthur says. We are thankful when we're blessed, right? We're thankful when we're blessed. You know, I think of every time my daughter leaves the house and she drives back to school. It's about an hour and 20 minute drive. I am looking at the phone in her location, right? Why? Because I pray and I ask for her to get there safely because it gives me a lot of anxiety. And whenever she gets there, I'm thankful. It's a blessing. She got there safely. And I got a feeling that whenever she's 40 years old, I will be doing the same thing. But I am thankful, right? And so we're thankful when we're blessed, when things are going well, when God grants an especially welcome benefit in our lives, right? We're happy and we're grateful. Oh, thank you for that. That's easy, right? That's easy. The second level of thankfulness, as, as MacArthur states it here, is being grateful for the hope of the blessing and the victory that is yet to come. Okay, well, there's some faith involved here, right? Because I'm looking forward to that which is to come. It's I'm thanking God for a blessing before it actually arrives. I look to the victory before it's actually achieved. But there's a third level. A third level of thankfulness is thanking God in the midst of the battle in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of something that is very, very hard, in the midst of trouble and testing. That's hard. This is where it gets difficult, right? This is where it gets hard. It, it, it might even look like I am failing. 
It might look like I am failing miserably. I am being overwhelmed here. But I'm to be thankful. See, it's at this point, at this level of thankfulness, that the truth comes out, right? Because if I can only thank God when things are going really, really well, I'm still kind of at the bottom rung of faithfulness. Thanking Him in the midst of trouble shows maturity. And it shows a filling of the Spirit. So we give thanks for all things. The ultimate goal is the glory of God. The means of giving Him glory is thanksgiving. And the reasons for thanksgiving are all the things that He has done in your life. To glorify God is to thank Him no matter how much I may be hurt or may be disappointed or may fail to understand. We're thankful. We're thankful in the name of Christ. It's to give thanks consistent with who He is and what He's done. Turns out for ultimate blessing and, and more importantly, His glory. Because that's what it's about anyway. And be thankful for the bad, right? For the bad in Christ, but only in Christ. Because if you're not a believer and the bad comes, it's just bad. That's all it's ever going to be. It's just bad. It's not going to do anything for you in your life and your growth and your obedience and what you're doing and for God's glory. It's just bad. But in Christ, we're thankful for the bad. As believers, it's the bad, more so the bad, that conforms us to the image of His Son, to the image of Christ. See, we receive that which Christ gave up. We lose that which Christ took on Himself. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was uh, despised. He was crucified. Right? He deserved glory, but He received humiliation. We deserve humiliation, but as followers of Christ, we receive glory because of Him. But we got all that He emptied Himself of, including, of course, life. We have much to be thankful to our Father about. He's the source of the gift. And because of that also, we are submissive to one another, right? We're submissive. We're more concerned with others than ourselves. Within the context of the church, this, is, this has to be the case. We have to be more concerned with others than ourselves. We're in the midst of a building program. We're going to learn what that's all about, I promise you. And we have to learn to be more concerned with other folks than ourselves. Repent. Trust Him, right? The confidence. Indeed, it has occurred that when you surrender to the control of His Spirit, you will find Him producing amazing things in you, even in the midst of things that are hard. These are the things that are of His doing. In Galatians 5, uh, we went through that in Sunday school here a while back. Paul calls these things what they are. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These things, right? The person who is spirit-controlled, who bears the Spirit's fruit, is the person who belongs to Christ. This is the person who is crucifying the flesh, right? Crucifying the flesh. Submit to Christ, walk in the Spirit, then fulfill, fulfill who you are as a child of God. You know that the filling... The control of the Holy Spirit, what does it lead to? It leads to a life of humility, a spirit of humility. The spirit that gives us the desire to do what? Again, seek the welfare of others. Seek the welfare of others before my own welfare. Be mutually submissive. It takes us to being subject to one another. 
And the only fear that we should have, and that is the fear of Christ, right? We submit to God the Father, accomplishing that submission through the Son, through the Spirit, and that will flow to everything else and be thankful for the salvation that is provided. We submit, we repent, we trust Christ. If you have not trusted Christ, I plead with you. Talk to someone here. Talk to me. Grab me. Grab somebody. Because outside of the Spirit, there is not life. Outside of Christ, there is no life. There is, there is hopelessness. But in Christ there's hope. In Christ there's salvation. We repent. We trust Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful, Lord, that you did not leave us to ourselves in, uh, to try to accomplish some sort of obedience to you. That we are left with the indwelling Holy Spirit that is everything that we need. And now it is for us to be filled and follow and obey and trust. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do. But now, day by day, moment by moment, we walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit seeking to serve and serve rightly, do rightly, bringing glory to you. Father, we ask for your help. We ask, Father, that we would indeed live in a constant reminder and repentance that says we're going to do this moment by moment, recognizing that this filling is a present thing that must continue. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that has been provided that we can live. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND. Or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.